Welcome to Boots Off Log On, a podcast where we talk all things farm business. A show about the business of farming, bringing you insights and wisdom from the leaders in farm business, helping you minimise risk and maximise return on all your hard work. I'm David and I'll be your host for the show. Hi, David. Welcome to our podcast for the week. It's great to see you again. And um, look, today we're going to be talking about budgeting. And David, along with your your lovely wife, Nat, you're the joint CEO of AgriMaster. And I guess one of the, the huge strengths of the AgriMaster program is the budgeting tool that underpins your program and how it's widely used, not just in WA, but across Australia. Could you tell us a bit more about about the, the budgeting side of AgriMaster and how it came to be and about yourself as well. Yeah, definitely, Kelly. Yes, yeah, so so I come from a farming family in Kojanup. So I, my father and so I was farming, my father was farming for him going backwards, sheep farmers, not so much these days, <laughs> more cropping these days and my younger brother's still down there. So the whole AgriMaster story started, yes, you're right with the budgeting and it started with my father. So my father... When he started clearing land down in Mobrup, which was those who uh, need to know the geography of Western Australia, is about 300k southwest of Perth. It was scrub and poison country back then. And he got introduced by his father to some, some economists in the University of Western Australia. And he was essentially this experiment, one of 72 experimental farmers, and they used to get their, their do their budgets in the EWA computer and then send up his... Um, receipts and payments up in satchels and they used to push their stuff through in cash books and they used to get sent back a monthly budget to actual comparison report. Um, and so he's a bit of a nerdy guy and so he got interested in computing through that through the 70s and 60s and 70s and then um, eventually he just got really, he went to a, a course at Muresk and for one session at this course at Muresk, I think one little one-hour section, they did some coding. So we're talking late 70s, 80s here. And he goes, oh, man, I so want to do that. And at the time, he was an amateur photographer with dark rooms and everything. So very soon after that, he saved up four grand. So this is back in 1980. He bought himself a computer and a printer, which was louder than our tractor this printer was. Anyway, yeah, and he he just wanted to write software. And he thought, well, if I'm going to write something, I'm going to write something I'm going to use. So he went about replicating the computer at the University of Western Australia. And he wrote himself a budgeting program which has kicked off Agrimast. And the whole reason for is the same reason it is today. He wanted to run a budget actual comparison report every month to keep the track of his farm because he was right in the middle of clearing and putting fertiliser on and all that sort of stuff. So as same as it is today with every other farmer, cash flow was king and he wanted to track that. And he actually added a cash book on after that so he could run the budget actual comparison report. So we're, we're probably different to nearly every other application on the market. Most people start off with an accounting system and add a budgeting system. We started off with a, a farm budgeting system and added an accounting system. So our, I suppose our DNA is a little bit differently wide in that way. So, yeah, and the rest has sort of went on for 40 years. Um, there's a, obviously there's a huge backstory around that, but one thing led to another. He continued farming for this whole time. It was just an amateur thing. He got another guy, um, Alan Moyer, who was another farmer from 2J. 
He sold it for him and my father looked after the programming. He used to write software at night. So when I used to come home from the farm or school, my dad was always in his office at night writing software. And when we were drenching sheep on the tractor, he was always thinking about code. I, I can remember he wrote the second version of Agrimaster on a notepad on our beach house kitchen table and because <laughs> he hadn't got the computer yet. So he just started writing it on a pad. That was our first DOS version. And so I just grew up in this environment. And then Agrimaster 3, 4, um, Agrimaster 4 was probably his biggest challenge. It was moving from DOS to Windows, a completely different operating system. So in, that, in the software world, Every time you swap major operating systems, there's massive change for both. Usually it's forced, nearly always it's forced by um, people like Microsoft and computers. So you just have to change. But then you as a developer have to learn a whole lot of new way to code everything. And then the users have to learn a whole new way. We're going through that at the moment with the cloud and things like that. So for him, he had to go back to school and went and did another course and wrote AgriMaster and then GST and everything, and um, very I'm cutting a 40-year story down really quickly. And then Natalie um, was a banker for Westpac. I went to Muresk, did a Bachelor of Business, went farming for 10 years. Soon after we got married, she started a training company in Agrimaster, which then I joined and helped her out with, and eventually we came together and, and decided to take on the full national distribution for Agrimaster, reform the company, and essentially do that succession piece and, and start hiring developers so my father could retire and started writing Agrimaster 5, Agrimaster 6 with a professional dev team after that. And the first 20 years was my father and, and partnering with other distributors and the last 20-odd years is Nat and I. So if you come into the Agrimaster office, you'll see a, a big eight-foot mural of my father. So <laughs> all the meeting rooms are named after his farm and his district and his uh, the rooms of his house and so he's very much still a big part of the business even though he probably hasn't stepped in it for a while i mean just to put that forefront of that computational computing you know 20 40 years ago imagine the things now with the technology that we have that he could have he could be creating with with, with that with that effort and that understanding that he's got it's just amazing that he's self-taught Oh, you know, I was talking to him the other day on the weekend. I went and had a cup of tea with him, and he was getting really excited. So he's just decided to write a whole new website and a and a um, scheduling app for the Rotary Club. So, so in his 80th year, he's decided to learn to write a new different type of code and go into web development. Yeah, that's me. That's really, really incredible, isn't it? I mean, look, I guess let's have a chat about the budgeting um, part of our, our business on on farm and. Why do you believe cash flow forecasting and budgeting and cash flow control are critical to successful farm businesses, David? Yeah, like I'm really, I'm, re I'm really passionate about this one. The I was just talking to one of our team members just then about it, and th the reality is, is farming is all played forward. It's so different from nearly every other business that I've ever come across. Most businesses are working in these ninety-day cash flow cycles, so they're selling something, whether it be bits of machinery or socks or coffee or whatever and they're they're really just having to make sure they sell enough this month so they can pay for the bills next month and they've got this cash flow cycle they're managing and some high turnover bits of ag are the same like dairy for example but if you're getting into broad acre large large cash flow type ag it's all played for it's all played in your future forecast so 
you're you're stu- you're borrowing in in most cases large sums of money, hundreds of thousands, if not millions. You're putting it all down up front, and then you've got a hopefully a return to pay it all back plus profit in nine to ten months. And between the point you commit all of your costs to the point where you get your return is just unlimited uncertainty. You've got uncertainty in weather, you've got uncertainty in markets, you've got soil, disease, you know, all that stuff. So there's a lot you have to control. In farming, there is a lot of things you can't control. So you can't influence the weather, but you can change for it. You can't you can't influence the markets, but you can change around the markets and adapt to it. But the one thing you can change and you have 100% control over is your cash flow. So you can look at any of those big variables that change. And if you have a good cash flow forecast model, you can put those changes in there and you can see the effect it'll actually have on your business. It's try before you buy in a lot of ways. So if you have a good cash flow model and suddenly grain price dropped $50 a tonne, you don't have to guess. You can just go into your budget, change the price, and it will tell you exactly what effect that's going to have on your cash flow. Is your overdraft going to blow out in October? You know, are you overcommitted? Or what if you change a lot of before seeding? You could say, well, what if we upped our wheat and dropped our, our canola or barley? You know, it takes five minutes to do that stuff. So... It gives you time and the ability to make really good decisions as well. So I just think that compliance in agriculture is, I'd say, you do that for the government. The, you know, I'm talking about the you know, bookkeeping type stuff, and I'll, there's a bit more detail on that, but mainly tax is not your issue. But budgeting, if I said you had to spend where you'd spend your time, I'd say you spend 60 to 70% of your time in budgeting and the rest of the time if you've got left over in your bookkeeping. So that's how important I believe it is. So, David, we've spoken a little bit about, um, you know, the, the process of budgeting. So looking at actuals versus budget and doing regular scenario planning, updating prices of fertiliser and, and grain throughout the year. What are sort of some of your top tips, I guess, for farmers in terms of budgeting, in terms of creating their budget routine for the year? When when should they do, you know, obviously we create our budgets in January, February for the year and um, having that regular routine and process throughout the year is obviously critical. What are your your top tips for creating top areas that we need to focus on? So two questions, I suppose. Yeah, definitely. So, look, there's there's two parts. I, th- I think I'll start with uh, breaking into two areas. One is developing your budget, so the, the strategy around developing your budget, and the other one is t- more tactical. So the budgeting I regard is two really important things to think about your budget. One, it's a strategic document. And it's also a tactical document. So from a strategic, developing the strategy around your budget, the first tip is don't rush it. Like the, this is this sets you up for your whole season. Take the time. And don't do it for your bank. Do it for you first. Right. And I think one of the biggest mistakes people would do is they create a budget for the bank. Now the budget, the banks aren't silly. They're they're they know what they're looking at, right? So do it for you. You have to manage your risk. At the end of the day, if it goes wrong or it goes right, it's your, your, all yours. So um, the other thing is start 12 months earlier. So what I mean by that is when you're recording your – when you're doing your bookkeeping, record bookkeeping for you and not the government. So a lot of people do the minimum amount in their bookkeeping. So they'll just put in a code and an amount and the GST because they have to be compliant. 
but therefore they're just working for somebody else. If that's all they record, that's all, that's all they're doing. They're, so what I recommend, you have to sit in the seat and you have to do it anyway, so do it for you, which means when you record something, let's say you record um, chemicals, uh, chemical purchases, put it to an enterprise, grain enterprise, record which chemical is, how much you paid, the quantity, do that for repairs and maintenance, do that for all income and all costs, allocate all income to varieties, to animals, to every chemical to a to a, a crop or an enterprise, things like that. So what that means is that when you go to do your budget for the season, you're not relying on averages, what other people have done, benchmarks, anything like that. You're, you're budgeting based on your information because your farm is unique in many ways. So having your own um, set of reality is really important. For example, I was um, had a great chat to some of our very, very early consultants. So this is talking, you know, John Abbey, Bob Hall, Peter Fackler. So these are like the, the grandfathers, I suppose, of modern agri-consulting. When they took on AgriMaster back in the early 80s, they took it on for that reason because they wanted a court, they, obviously they wanted the budget modelling section of it, but they also wanted this, at the time, they were dealing with a whole lot of I suppose every man and nobody, somebody, everybody type numbers, and they and Agrimaster gave them that detailed um, management numbers that they were able to they were able to consult to. So that's the first thing. Start budgeting early by recording detail around your transactions and quantities, especially. Second thing, when you build your strategy, don't try and smash your budget out quickly. Take the time to do models. So what I mean by models, behind every single number in a budget is a whole lot of assumptions. For example, grains probably the easiest to start with. So you've got, say, wheat, you've got the number of hectares, the, I suppose, not the target or the assumed yield that you think you're going to go for, and then you've got price, the amount of chemical, the amount of fertiliser, the number of operations you're putting on. There's so many assumptions behind every number. So... If you try and do that on an envelope or, I don't know, somewhere else and type the number in, if any of those change, it's so hard to go back and change that number because there's so many assumptions behind it and you can't remember the calculation you did. So build little worksheet models which take more time when you're doing it but when you're reviewing it either during the year or the next year, it's 10 times quicker because you can just change one number and it recalculates the whole budget. So my big tip when you're building the strategy is commit to building worksheets as much as possible and reduce the amount of direct entry as much as you can. Um, and the other thing is I think this is one everyone knows, but over budget on costs and under budget on, on income because if you walk into our office, you'll see it written on the wall, hope is not a strategy. Just because you want four tonne of wheat doesn't mean you're going to get four tonne of wheat. And the other one is be wary of averages, right? So I'll give you a good example. In a 10-year period, you might have got three tonnes, three tonnes, three tonnes, one tonne, one and a half tonne, one and a half tonne, one and a half tonne, four tonne. So it might come out the average is two and a half tonne. But the reality is, is you're more likely to get 1.8 tonne than you are four or two and a half. So averages, you've got to be tricky. You've got to be no... Averages are like all sort of mathematical things. Just be careful because an average is not... Mean, doesn't mean it's likely. <laughs> it just means that a bunch of numbers add up to be an average. So then it comes down to tactically. The next thing people, uh, the tip I've got is 
The budget is a tactical, strategic advantage for you, and it's not for the bank. The bank need it. They'll use it to assess your risk and your everything. But at the end of the day, this is a tool that you can use to manage risk going forward. So my big tip is you you review it every month. Now, that sounds like a real chore, but you just pin it. You're already doing your books every month. Why are you doing your books? Rec- the minute you reconcile your books, push the budget to actual comparison report, run a budget to actual comparison report. Why? It's a form of time travel. It will tell you you're under, you're over, you're here, and that gives you time to think about a response. Is that important? So a lot of the time you'll look at it and go, yeah, nah, it's only 10 grand here or there. It doesn't really matter. But sometimes it's like, wow, I didn't see that coming. I better do something about that or we better call the bank. For example, when I'm talking to a lot of agri-managers, I say, watch the thing you hate, and they say emergency October overdrafts because they're never an emergency, right? They knew if you'd looked at your budget action comparison report in July, you would have known that in October you needed another 50 grand, but people don't. And so when it comes to October, they're in a rush, they pay more than they need to for their overdraft, and the bank's put under pressure, you're put under pressure, Whereas you could have known that four months ago. I think on a year like this, that cash flow and that actual versus budget will be even more important because a lot of us have had really good years and that cash flow management is going to be so critical in managing our tax this year. And that's another big mistake, especially anyone who tries to do a budget on a spreadsheet. The one thing that you forget is exactly, that's a really good, tax is a killer, right? Especially in farming. You've got GST, which has massive impacts on cash flow and farming because it alters so differently. And the numbers you type into a budget aren't, and let's say you type them with GST on them. That's not when the GST is going to enter and leave your account. So GST has to be calculated and distributed differently in your budget to when your actual money comes and leaves your account. And then you've got, like, you've had, most people had some massive years. So you're going to have massive instalment bills as well. So you've got to plan for that instalment tax as well. So I think at the end of the day, it's not mathematically difficult, but it is a process. And I'd say to people is go through the strategy, make sure you're doing it well, right? And do it for yourself. You know, the bank wants to give you the money. They really do. (laughs) Um, You've got to tick all the right boxes and that's important. But do this budget for yourself. In, for example, this year, budgeting for tax is, is critical and it will catch some people out. It really will. So have, let's have a chat about the banks in terms of, you know, that they are asking for more and more financial information and everything down to those worksheets, those, those predictions on grain income, livestock income, you know, that cash flow budget as well is, is so critical. Uh, how, do, how do you see the bank's requirement for compliance changing for us as farmers over the next five to ten years, particularly after the Royal Commission and particularly, you know, as, as interest rates are about to go up as well and, and people are going to be put under pressure? Yeah, um, banks are always um, juggling risk and return. So at the end of the day, they're really simple. They're, they're selling you money at the cost of interest for you know they're they're money retailers so they buy money off someone else and sell it back to you with a margin and they obviously based on that well they want to sell you as much money as they can i mean that's their job just as we want to as a farmer you want to sell as much grain as you can they want to sell as much money as they can that's 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 their grain but at the end of the day they've got to balance that with risk in other words what what likelihood have they got of not getting the money back if you ever 
talk to have a get, chat to if you've got a friend who's an agri manager talk about their battle with credit so they're trying to lend you money but on the back end in the bank they're always fighting with their credit department around risk so you as a farmer the the reason they're asking for more and more information one is if it goes wrong they get into a lot of trouble you don't if they lend you money that the community believes was predatory or expect the royal commission bought this they get a massive whack on the back of the hand and big fines whereas we as lenders really we we take the risk of borrowing the money but we don't get penalties for for lending borrowing too much i suppose other than getting to financial difficulty but they do so the royal commission basically has said if you lend money you got to make sure that the client's good for it you can't be irresponsible in your lending so this is and the other thing so when they mean irresponsible so when you're lending money I always say I had this question actually I was talking to a, a, a grower group out at Meriden and they asked this bank what did the bank want from me and I said they want exactly the same thing you would ask for let's say you sold the farm and you've retired you're in Perth and your neighbor comes up to you and he wants to borrow um, he wants to buy 5,000 hectares next door and said um, how about I come and lend can you lend me X millions of dollars to buy the farm next door and I'll pay you X amount of interest what would you ask of that person you would go through their books with a fine tooth comb you'd inspect the farm you would you would ensure that neighbor of yours was good for the money because this is your retirement and so if you think of it like what would i ask pretty much that what you supply the bank and so the banks these days will want to know and quite rightly in many ways they want to know if you put three ton in the budget have you got proof over the last 10 years of the ability to produce that crop so they want to look not just what you've put in the numbers they want to just look at this you know i was talking about the assumptions they want to see the assumptions behind those numbers and then they want to see have you got proof to say that you've done this before in other words can you have you done it they do want to lend you as much as they can but at the same time they want to make sure that you have the ability to deliver and that's usually in most cases that's history history will and the other thing is are you aware of your risk so as soon as you produce a budget for a bank they have to stress test that budget. In other words, so if I went and produced a budget for a bank, the first thing they have to do is go, well, what if David doesn't get two and a half tons? What if he gets one ton? What happens to our cash, his cash flow? Is he, is he still going to be viable? Will we lose the loan? Will he get into trouble? So the bank manager, he or she will be stress testing my budget because he has to do it from a, how much risk am I exposing the bank to here? So what I recommend is do that. They, they're going to do that anyway. Why aren't you doing it for yourself? In other words, so you stress test your own budget. So it shows to the bank, hey, I want $2 million. But if we have a bad year and we've had to, because you know it's going to happen. In 1996, we had a bad year. If we had that year again, this is what I would do. This is how I'd adjust my budget. This is what I'd do. And that shows the bank, not only am I borrowing a lot of money, but I can manage this if it goes to hell. I'm good for the money. So presenting, you know, when the bank comes to visit you in February, March, whatever it is, presenting them with a couple of different scenarios uh, of your budget, maybe three different scenarios, good, bad and ugly, sounds like the way to, the way to go. Yeah, so I would just, I think that you don't have to do, they don't really care that if you have a good one, I don't think, because <laughs> you'll pay back all your money and they won't be lending it to you. But they certainly, I, look, they, they have to know, they have to know for themselves anyway if it goes bad and and they'll know from and they'll have a lot of data just like you do of how often it goes bad in your district and um you know that one year you're going to have a bad one you don't know which year it's going to be but you have to i would say to every single client 
every single year. As soon as you finish your baseline budget in February or wherever you do it, make a copy of it and make it the worst year you've had, right? And make the copy disaster budget. And then while you're doing that disaster budget, work out how would I survive this year? Because you've done it before. You have survived it once before, right? Or many times before for most families. Put in place a strategy. We'd do this, we'd cut that, we'd move this, we'd do this, we'd do that. Because when that year does come, and you don't know, it could be this year, it could be next year, you just don't know which one is going to be, you would have actually done all the stressful thinking already. You know what to do. So then it's just because at the time you're going to be so, so stressed, right? So that's not the time to be doing some budgeting because <laughs> you're not going to be thinking straight. So it's good to have done it in February when you're not stressed. And then you sort of, I don't know, there's a, there's a form of um, ripping the Band-Aid off and just, okay, I've, I've explored the darker side of the year already. I sort of know where I'm at. I know I can handle it. So then you can just sort of go into your year a bit more confident and the bank's going to do it anyway. So it's a bit of a twofer. Yeah. So, I mean, really that, you know, that, that how to survive this year budget, that, that disaster budget is, is a really core, it sounds like a really good idea to, to actually put in place to sort of create those reliable systems within our farming business that so we know the, the minimum that we need to earn to sustain our family, to sustain our business. What other sort of things should people put in place, um, other systems do you think that help maximise profit and, and minimise that financial risk? Look, there's a couple of things. One, so when I said you copy the disaster budget, there's two other that I would, uh, well, let's say one definite one I'll do, and that's a budget and actual one. Now, this is the one that you will live in. So you've done a baseline, whether by yourself or with your advisor, and so you've got this baseline budget. And so your baseline budget in most cases is, I always say it's like when if my year goes to plan, this is what it looks like. It's like I'm going to go to Perth and I'm going to get green lights all the way to the house. <laughs> um, that's generally what your baseline looks like. But you know you're not going to get green lights all the way, right? So then what you do is I'd make a copy and, and most people would call it, say, budget plus actuals is usually the common name. Now, this is the one you're actually going to work in. So as soon as you've reconciled each month, import that month into this budget. So overwrite your budget figures with what's actually happened. What that means, it's going to adjust your cash flow. So now your starting balance at the end of that month is going to be reality rather than a budget. So now you're starting to build a budget your budget's going to end up being over the year part but part reality, what's actually happened, and part um, budgeted. Your accountant actually asks for this every year when they're doing your forecasting for the next year, planning for the next year, but do, this is for yourself. So what you'll see is the adjusted um, cash flow line happening. It'll start moving. The other thing is then when you do that, adjust your expenditure. Let's say you were going to sell a mob of sheep in April. Um, and you'd forecasted the money to come in in April, but you're actually, for one reason or another, they didn't finish off properly or something, and you say, oh, I'm going to sell them in May instead. So if you drop your actuals in, that income won't be there, but you would have overwritten that number in your budget, so just move it to May. You know, move cash flow back and forward accordingly. So this is so what you're trying to do is trying to match the reality to, of the cash flow and playing it forward a bit at the same time. So that's another one I would do. And the last one is, is a what-if budget. Now, this is not one budget. This is as many as you like. So this is your peace of mind. So if you – here's uh, uh, my little pithy thing. If you think it, what if it? In other words, if you're lying in bed at night and you go, oh, my God, what if we get a frost, right? 
don't lie in bed and think about it. Get up. <laughs> well, the next day, copy your baseline budget and put it in. See what it looks like. Again, it's time travel. It might happen. It might not happen. You're preparing yourself both emotionally and, and in the ability to tactically deal with it. In other words, so, okay, if this happens, you know, what are we going to do? Are we going to – so, for example, we did one on a bu- – I did one on a budget um, roadshow workshop once, and what we did is we go, so let's say we got a frost, and then I just – we created two different worksheet sets, and we said what if we harvested it and what if we baled it and cut it for hay – what are the prices? Da, 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 da. And we worked out that we'd make more money. Oh, yeah, and we had livestock that we had to finish off. So it was kind of like, do we finish live? Can we just put the livestock on, on the frosted crop? Will we make more money or do we cut it for hay? So this is quite a bit of modeling. But what it means is if you've done it early on, you know that, oh, if we get frosted, we know what we're going to do. I think the, people forget there's just so much mental health in knowing, even if it's not good news, you know, because you have time. And I think this is what, I mean, at the end of the day, budgeting, it sounds really boring, but if you if I talk to any clients who do all the things we're talking about, they just, they, it's their lifeline. They just, they just, it really makes their, their week every week because it gives them such peace of mind um, because they can, it's, it's, it's like a financial little working model of your farm. So you can you can you can test everything on your computer before it actually happens in the real world, which gives you a bunch of both tactical preparation but also mental health at the same time. I must admit, you know, when every month when I do my actuals versus budgets, that that relief, even if I don't like what I see, that that control that I feel that we have over our, our destiny, um, to be able to plan things around, go to the bank and ask for an extension to the overdraft, whatever it might be, it just you're not flying by the seat of your pants. Yeah, and I think you, people forget the mental, I mean, I suppose they probably do realise, but they probably don't think about it, but the mental stress of not knowing. And the, the funny enough, the relief of forecasting a disaster than putting a straight place a strategy to deal with it is so liberating in so many ways because it sort of gets that monkey off your back and just lets you pile into the year, really. I guess, you know, it's coming around to that, that sort of longer term, you know, we are seeing climatic changes, we're seeing less um end of season rainfall we haven't really had too many frost events but we're you know rainfall patterns are depends on who you talk to but are rainfall patterns changing are we experiencing climate change um but can can we talk about how we use budgeting on a long-term basis to sort of take into account i mean we usually do a one-year budget but should we to take into account changes in, in climate or anything else be doing longer term budgeting like what what are your thoughts there on how we manage to how we manage frequent changes and commodity prices. Yeah, I think I think the reality is is you're quite right. I think if nothing else, the the chaos. I mean, farmers are pretty good at chaos, but I think it's becoming increasingly so. And if I look at the people who, I look at the end of the day, we all look over the fence as farmers. And I used to do this. You know, have they got a better farm than me? Look at their crop. Look at our crop. Look at our sheep. Look at their sheep. But at the end of the day, when I look at people, the, the people who've done, who do who can consistently do really well are the ones managing the reality and this risk really well. They, they're just great, sounds boring, capital managers. They're good at just juggling capital and money and risk and, you know, and their crops aren't any more spectacular than anyone else's or anything like this. And I think it's just embracing 
well, farmers have already done it. If you're still farming today, you, you're pretty good at volatility. I mean, I think anyone left in the game these days knows what they're doing in that way, right? And they're pretty good. At, they're usually pretty, and they're, and they're pretty good at what they do. I mean, I'm talking from a production point of view. So it's just accepting the fact that it probably is going to become more volatile. Whether you agree politically around the whole climate change thing, it is becoming more volatile. It just is, right? And you don't have to give it a, a reason or a, anything. It just is more volatile. Commodity prices, look, we've got – and you've got – this year is an absolute cracker for volatility. You've got Ukraine. You've got wheat prices, which are stratos, uh, up in the stratosphere, but – are they going to stay there? But at the same time, you've got fertiliser prices that have gone up, what, 60%, 70%, right? Um, so what's your gross margin going to look like? You know, so what is everyone's break-even point this year? Do you need $500 a tonne to make money this year? Where's your production risk? So this is the sort of stuff. So it's not that it's good or bad. It just is. But it's how do you strategically play it forward, like you say, to account for that risk? So this year... I was just sitting there, there's so many scenarios in my head this year. So do you, if you're banking on $500 a tonne or $480 a tonne, how much a big impact do fertiliser prices make on the ultimate gross margin? How different is it from, from next year? But not only that, you every, because everything's got higher cost, you're borrowing, you're, the amount that you have to borrow to put in a crop has gone up as well. So you've got a higher funding cost. So your margins are going to get put under pressure from funding costs, even though... <laughs> Technically, your gross margin on your crop might be similar. I think these days, and everyone's bigger as well, so I think everything we do now just has more zeros on the end of it, which means if things are good or bad, they're, they're exaggerated. The, the, the good and bad is exaggerated uh, because of those. So I always say people almost, they're making good money, a lot of people, but the amount of capital they have at risk every year is huge. I made a comment a couple of weeks ago. I said, if you've never done decent cash flow forecasting and modelling before 2022, 2022 is the year to start because there's so many moving parts. And I, and, and if I didn't put it into a model, I wouldn't even know where to start this year as a farmer because I just wouldn't know where the margins are going to drop. I mean, you've got, re you know, lease prices have gone through the roof, you know, to buy land's gone through the roof, fertiliser's through the roof, everything, but then, you know, income is potentially through the roof too. So it's balancing balancing everything, isn't it? Yeah, and then you're playing guessing game against everyone else in the world. So we've got, you know, I'd say, well, now someone about to correct me on this, but, you know, the Black Sea area, that Ukraine area is probably one of the other best wheat-growing areas in the world, I suppose, from Australia with quality hard wheat. So they're a little bit out of the picture, but will someone fill that hole? There's so many unknowns, isn't there? Like, you know, we've had it with the ad blue with fuel. There's so many of these little things that come out of the blue. So my only thing about playing it forward, first of all, if you're borrowing a large amount of, fun of funding, I'm talking about base load debt, most banks have, have probably already asked you for a long-term budget. We're talking like a five-year cash flow. Not that it has to be as accurate. I would recommend everybody, especially if you're carrying large amounts of base load debt, run a five-year budget. Now, what I mean by a five-year budget is nothing like your one-year budget. So what I mean is uh, the way I would do it is I would create a one-year budget, then I would copy it four times, and then I would make slight adjustments based on, you know, just increasing costs, things like that, right? Because in reality... At minimum, 24 months. Why? If you're a grain grower, you're selling over 18 to 24 months anyway. So you need a 24-month budget minimum, 
but it's just about a play it forward. How's this going to go out? You know, we can have a good year. How do we do we pay down debt? Do we buy more land? And this happens over such long time frames. You need those long cash flows, but tactically you're still working within your 12 months. So that budget actual that you're doing, Kelly, every every month, that's detailed, I suppose, tactical budget as opposed to more that two, three, four, five years, you know. It's a bit like um, a satellite picture, you know, like the budget that we work in every year is very much at a ground level and the five-year one's more like a drone shot or a satellite picture, you know. It's about that level of granularity. And as we get closer to the next year, then we tighten all the numbers up and like most people have a rotational plan of more than five years. So it's, you know, it's not that unfeasible. It's certainly not. And, and I, you know, what I've gauged so far from our conversation today is that even myself, a lot of us are just sort of doing the bare minimum. We're doing our reconciliation every month and we're probably not even allocating to enterprises or we're not adding in chemical prices or fertiliser costs at the you know the active ingredient level or whatever it might be i mean there's some there's some big changes that perhaps we need to make within our business to be able to collect that information to add in and it, it is it is a daunting daunting task isn't it but what what do you think in terms of you know i mean a lot of people in the past have used excel for farm budgeting you know why is that such a bad tool and um what are sort of other other mistakes that you might have have um, seen other people do Look, I mean, Excel for a lot of people seems very obvious. Usually it's cheap, if not free. A lot of people just have it on their computer. You can download a template from the internet because there's so many home budgets and small business budgets and a whole lot of stuff just on the internet. It's just not the right tool for ag. And the reason being is for all the reasons we've just discussed, you know, it's it's actually really hard to get one right. Behind every single number, you've still got to do those calculations. Those calculations I was talking about, those yield times price times chemical plus operations, all those have still got to be done. And to do them in Excel, you've either got to then go and develop your own models or you've got to do them on a bit of paper, which means if they change, you can't change them. And But then you can't remember your formula, so then you stop trusting your budget. And also you can't share it with more than one person. So it's a... Um, I'd say uh, uh, XL budgets are a bit like blue healers. They only like one owner. So you can't really share them with you or an advisor or another person in your business because they're so fragile that if anyone touches anything, they might delete a formula or they might not know how the formula works, especially if you've got you know some decent Excel skills, which most people don't, and you've got linking formulas and lookup tables and a lot of really cool stuff that you'd probably need to make it work properly. They're just, they can become very complex beasts. So we'd have some people listening now who actually have consultants who use Excel, for example. Now, you'll notice that they never share that Excel budget with you, right? The reason they don't is, one, you just can't touch that thing. It is too, too difficult, too technical. It's not like it's not like an agri-master or you just can't open it up and change a number because it could all just fall apart. The other thing is they're not – so we're talk, you were just talking about budget actual comparison reports. Okay. The most important part of a budget tactically is to be able to do something as simple as a budget actual comparison report. So going right back 40 years, that's why agri-master was written. So because it's it's connected to your, your bookkeeping system like tightly. So you just push a button, it compares your monthly to your cash flow, and you've got a report. There you go. To do that in Excel is 
you would have to now I don't I can't speak to whatever people are using but let's say you've got to get the numbers out of your accounting system you've got to get them into some sort of excel format or csv format then you've got to import them or copy and paste the numbers into your excel document then you've got to use something like a lookup formula to look up figures in your budget and compare them and so what happens is that's all technically possible. Excel can do all of that. You just won't do it. I guarantee you won't do it. It's a bit like um, people who have production management systems. I remember when I was farming, I went through three different production management systems, paddock recording systems. Why didn't I ever use them? Because I always promised myself on Friday I'd put give it up, I'd, I'd get it up to date, and I never did. <laughs> I'd go, I'd just have a beer and I'd go, I'll do it tomorrow. And if it's not a push of a button, if it's not just there, you will promise yourself to do it and you just won't do it, right? And and it's not because you're particularly lazy, you're just human um, and you're tired and you really hate being in the office in the first place, so I'm not going to go to extra effort. I think the trouble with Excel, Excel is a really powerful tool in the hands of someone who really knows what they're doing. But if you try to write it to do something as complex as farm business modelling, you have to be very good at what you do. So consult, some consultants have written, written some just killer Excel spreadsheets that just defy belief, but they're really fragile and they're, and they're much slower to use than, say, an application. So, yeah, it's not that they're particularly wrong. They're just farm business is just, it's just too big a risk to use in a farm business sense. But if you're going to do a, I don't know, a feed budget, for feeding sheep, knock yourself out. Excel's brilliant. So, I mean, a lot of people do, you know, their, their reconciliations simply as a, that compliance for tax purposes and for their accountant. But I guess the question is, you know, why why is the standard small business approach to accounting and bookkeeping not suitable for farm businesses? They're just different beasts. Um, I think farmers know they're unique and it, at the end of the day, if you look at a P&L and balance sheet, a farm looks like any other business. You know, income, expenditure, tax, depreciation. It doesn't, if you look at it as a set of accounting reports, a farm business doesn't look anything any different to anyone else, right? You, you look just like a cafe. But in operation, it, there, there couldn't be anything different. And I think that's the difference. So a standard small business accounting methodology or let's say book let's not accounting let's go bookkeeping at the end of the day we're talking about here small business bookkeeping is completely different from farming one it tends to be very low value high volume transactions so we're talking hundreds and hundreds of transactions a day at very small amounts so reconciliation and and feeding data in is a big deal and a lot of the detail is kept in other systems. So they don't need to put detail into their accounting system because it's captured in things like point of sale systems or other systems, right? So their accounting system really is just keeping tax stuff. Um, so, you, you, so you'll find in a standard um, small business accounting system, for example, you won't find quantities or you won't find, say, you know, allocations, enterprise, all that sort of detail in because it's usually if they do capture or they need to capture, it's captured somewhere else in a different system. And the other one I, I think I touched on earlier before, their cash flow is completely different. So a small business bookkeeping system is built around accounts payable and receivable. So you've got, a let's say, a standard small business 90-day cycle. So what a small business was doing, let's say I had some sort of retail store where I was selling something or a coffee shop. What I'm trying to do is their borrowings are tiny. I think the average small business borrowings in Australia is less than $13,000. The average farm business borrowings is $680,000. So they're just worlds apart in the context of funding and risk. And the next thing is that 
a small business is trying to sell as many widgets this month before they pay for the widgets that they're going to sell next month. So it's more of a 90-day cash flow type of a system. So they're living in accounts payable and receivable and all their cash flow struggles. So if you've got, say, a, a like an off-the-shelf small business accounting system, you won't, you'll notice that there's no real extensive cash flow forecasting or modelling or anything in it. That's because they just don't need it. It's, it's just not part of their business routine. So it's not that these systems are designed exactly to do, and they do, these small business systems and small business accounting systems do exactly what they're supposed to do, and they're really good at it. But the, the, the system they're written for is so different to the ag system. And I think, and that's reality. I don't think they're good or bad. It's just they're different. And I think ag is just a different beast. And it has a, it has a, I mean, as every farmer knows, it has its own unique challenges. I, I reckon the closest I've actually come to is I've got a few friends in the city who are um, in, who've done property development. And it has, and uh, it's a, it's a very similar risk. You're putting a lot of capital up front and it's really big cash flow, a lot of borrowing, very long return windows. And so funnily, they almost look, from a financial point of view, they look very similar to farms in a lot of way. And, and they can lose it all very quickly as well, as you probably noticed on the news this year. Yeah, it's um, we certainly do carry a lot of risk and budgets and, and creating those budgets accurately and, and monitoring them over the years is a pretty important component. Yeah, and I think that's what people forget. You know, small business is about accounts payable and accounts receivable cash flow control. Farm, bud, farm business is about essentially managing peak debt and borrowing and risk and unknown and, and so many unknowns that a small business would never even understand like weather and commodity prices and you're not selling widgets every month you know it's just a whole different paradigm when it comes to business it is and that scenario planning i think is the real key and actually getting a routine going around that every year yeah yeah and i and i think you know it's, it's just horses for courses you know yeah absolutely well well, thank you, David. Is there any other anything else that you'd like to add to our chat today? Or? No, I, you know what? I, I actually want to say one last thing, and it's like every farm business is a partnership, and whether that be uh, a you know um, a husband and wife partnership or a son, you know, daughter, father, or whatever, there's this, there's this business and operational partnership that happens in farms, and and I think. Over the years, I think people have not valued the, what I call the, well, let's call it the, it's generally, I think it's called bookkeeping, but it's so much more complex than that, but that 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 financial management side of business. And I think I, if I had my way, I'd elevate that part of the partnership in every farm a lot higher because if you go to anything to do with ag, you know, the, we talk about machinery, we talk about crop varieties we talk about all this cool stuff and it is cool stuff i mean i haven't been farming for 20 years and i still love it but at the end of the day the stuff that's done in the office day in day out is just as important because at the end of the day every single single thing you do in farming ultimately gets reported in in financials and so it's just I would just like everyone to elevate not only that role within business but the importance of that role within business. Just like it is in, you know, if you go into an urban business like ours, they're, the, they're like one of the most important roles in the business. So, and I think they should be an ag as well. Yep, your own personal CFO on farm. Yeah. And I, 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 don't, I just don't think there is. It is like a CFO. If you looked at, 
is if you if you took most farmers and, and and farmers aren't small businesses they're they're big operations right and you you look at a business like ours we've got we're similar size to a lot of our clients but we've got 25 people working here and we have a cfo and we have an accounts manager and all these roles and i just think it's genius that farmers do it without all that half the time you know and and they're and they're just as big and just and arguably just as complex and um so call yourself a cfo and i think it's justifiably so as well you know operations manager so i'd say people out um in the paddock if that's what you want to broadly call that like people who've got hands-on tools would be head of operations in a in a business like you know if they were in a manufacturing business they'd be you know they'd be the ops manager and the person running the grain marketing the budgeting the bookkeeping all that sort of stuff would be a cfo or the ceo and maybe using a bit of terminology wouldn't hurt every now and then it might make you elevate the importance of that role i think we're, one, we're running multi-million dollar businesses with big assets and big liabilities and um, we are whether we like it or not you know and i think and i think that's another thing i just wish every farmer in australia would stop seeing themselves as these tiny little struggling small businesses they're not they're really big they're really smart they know what they're doing I mean, any 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 guys and girls I've seen who've sold their farms and come to Perth and gone into other businesses have absolutely killed it. They know what they're doing. They're good at what they do. So they deserve the accolades, the titles, the the response. You know, all those sort of things that everyone else, you know, has in sort of like an urban business. So because you are, you're multi million dollar businesses. You know, absolutely, we are. We are. Well, thank you, David. I um I've really enjoyed our chat today. There's a lot of take home messages for me that. Uh, you know, really focusing on that actual versus budget and actually adding in some more complex information to my transactions will, will go a long way. Yeah, it's just a little bit. I think don't don't let it be overwhelming. I think it's just a little bit all the time and I think that's all it is. I think most people think it's huge. It's not. It's just tiny little bits all the time makes a big difference over a year. Absolutely. Oh, well, thank you again and uh, we'll talk to you again soon. Good on you. Thanks, Kelly. Thanks very much. As always, if you'd like to know more about AgriMaster Farm Business Management Software and Services, you can find us at www.agrimaster.com.au or find us on Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook and Instagram. If you like this episode, please share it on social media or directly with a friend and let's make farm business great together.